Hello and welcome to the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. I'm John Hassel. And I'm Stuart Beard. How are you, Stuart? I'm fine as always, John. How are things with you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm always happy when I'm sitting here in this chair talking about the things we love. It's been a quick month since the last podcast. Yes, it really has. The old GGTS subject um, seemed to go down quite well. It did. We've we've had a couple of good podcasts now with the potholes and and the GGTS. Let's Mm -hmm. talk about what we're going to talk about this month, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. On this episode. Yes. So, a certain bridge, it turns 85. It does indeed. And that is the Kincardine Bridge. Yes. We've never spoken about the Kincardine Bridge before. No, we we, we haven't really spoken about anything in central Scotland before. Um, Not really. No. I mean, it's not something that's in Glasgow, but it's not too far away from Glasgow. No, it's just just at the edge of the motorway box. So, we thought it's a good time, because it's his 85th, Mm -hmm. and you've done a a lot of research into this. Yes, yes. uh, And pulled things together from various different people and stuff like that so i am i'm really kind of handing a lot of this to you Stuart. yeah i do my usual cross-examining so mm-hmm. it won't just be a long monologue from you lots of talking from me again two uh, months in a row that's uh, oh don't worry i've mm-hmm. got my i've got my one lined up next month yes good 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 <laughs> uh, anyway 85 isn't normally an anniversary that you would think no. was important but given it was Kincardine Bridge and it was pointed out to us that it was coming up I, I thought well you know what why not because as you say we've never discussed it we haven't so and it's a, it's an interesting bridge I mean in fairness you and I actually know Kincardine Bridge quite well yes because we've had some professional involvement in it yes over the years <laughs> and for a long time we visited it Quite regularly. Yeah, it was, um, it was every two weeks. Something like that, yep. Um, that we were we were out there. And um, I do remember, it, even in the height of summer, I always found it quite a cold place. Cold, windy, dreech. We had to walk it and go around its various components. But uh, about the bridge itself, it was it was lovely. It was, it was different. Yeah, it's an know. interesting bridge. Very much of the old school uh, mm-hmm. style of bridges. Uh, you know, Art Deco style. Mm-hmm. It's pretty iconic. It's A, A-listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, has been since 2005, so that, that gives an indication of its importance. Some say it's a monument to Scottish engineering. Yeah, uh, I'd say that's that's a fair point. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, although you and I are familiar with the bridge as it is today, actually we didn't really know a lot about its history other than the the basics. Yeah. So it's been interesting to go away and research it, and do a bit of digging and get a better understanding of how it came to be, how it was built, and and how it's performed over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, there's a couple of thank yous that 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 really need to get out there uh, so dave pritchard who's a colleague uh, of ours supplied us with a technical paper that was released the year the bridge or the year after the bridge opened uh, that contained a lot of very useful information on the planning and the filled, history filled in quite a few gaps yes and also to mrs june jack who got in touch following our appeal on social media for information about the bridge uh turns out mrs jack's grandfather was actually the first bridge master uh, Mr. James Boyd, and there were some family members had been at the opening of the bridge, and she sent over some photo- photographs uh, of these people at the actual opening. This sounds terrific. Yeah. I know I've, I've turned up here as the talent for yep. the for the podcast, mm-hmm. so to speak. I've not seen these photos yet, so I'm looking no, forward you, to seeing them. You'll see them, and uh, not only that, but uh, Mr. Boyd actually was guaranteed a, 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 a British Empire medal. Oh, okay. And, and he was given that in the control room of the bridge. So Fantastic. there you go. We yeah. walked in amongst that history, so to Indeed. speak, <laughs> yes. in that control room. And I think he ended up working in that role for for you know a good few years, over a couple of decades. And you know, interestingly, there were actually not as many bridge masters as you might think, as as I'll cover as we mm-hmm. go through. Okay. Um. Okay. So if I was to say to you, John, what mm-hmm. the most interesting feature of the Kincardine Bridge is, 
What would you say it was? Probably the fact that it could swing open. Exactly. It's yes. a swing bridge. Yes, but no. not many people think or know of that. We know that yeah. through our work and through looking into these kind of things, but um, it might not be the thing that most people think of. Yeah. So the last time the bridge opened was in January 1988. Wow. That's you know that's how long it's been. So you're right. To most people, it's not or it has never been a swing bridge. You know, no. so people may not be aware. Most people associate it with the long way around. They've got to go if there yeah. was a problem at fourth. Exactly. Exactly. So that. That's probably its most interesting feature. Mm-hmm. At that time, there was a lot of shipping uh, on, on all the rivers in Scotland, as we've mentioned, with the Clyde and others before. So any bridge had to allow for the continuation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they, they ultimately chose a swing bridge. But actually delving into the history of how the bridge came about, if you take yourself back to the 1920s, mm-hmm. and as we've mentioned plenty of times in this podcast, at that time, traffic growth was quite high. Mm-hmm. particularly in the towns and cities and at that time you had three options for crossing the river fourth um by by car okay because obviously by that time you had the fourth rail bridge yes so you could cross by rail at queensbury Just, yeah okay if you wanted to cross by car or by van or by bus or whatever you either could do that by the old ferries that operated between north and south queensbury yep you could do it as a passenger ferry um around the kincardine area there was a vehicle service around about Alwa, and then from there the only option you had was Stirling Bridge yeah. on the A9 in Stirling. Even uh, an even center. longer way round. Yeah, yeah. So it was estimated that for traffic that was looking to travel up the east coast that was coming from the south, if there was an issue and the ferries were off, they had a potential fifty mile diversion mm-hmm. to get to a fixed crossing at Stirling. Okay, so not an ideal scenario. Um, they were finding with the growth in traffic that Stirling was starting to become quite clogged up. And yeah. they knew that a, a, a significant proportion of this traffic was not traffic heading north to Inverness or Perth, say, but actually was heading northeastwards. Okay. You know, so through central Scotland. You know, so maybe to, to parts of like Fife or yeah, like Tayside exactly. and, and other places and, and like St. that. St. Andrews and, you know, places like that okay. in the northeast corner. Yeah. Um, so they realised, okay, we have to do something here. And they started investigating the options for a bridge in the the sort of mid to late 1920s. So initially, um, they considered a crossing at Alloa. But it was kind of pointed out by some that Kincardine offered better options because it was... It was on the road network. It was a better location in the road network for traffic. For the approach roads and everything like that. Because that's also an extra... Cost and a challenge with building any crossing is your approach roads and getting to it. Exactly. So they actually, initially the councils, uh, Clickmanon Council in particular, they brought in Mott, Hay and Anderson, you know, the consultant who were involved in the Fourth Road Bridge. Mm-hmm. They actually brought them in to do a study on the feasibility of a crossing at Alloa. Things didn't really move forward at all. Um, there were some initial concerns as well that perhaps it concarred and the ground conditions weren't favourable. But eventually, by 1930, all the councils uh, banded together and decided to have a joint report commissioned. Okay. And the consultant, the two consultants, uh, so Mohey and Anderson, who were already involved, plus Alexander Gibbon Partners, they were brought in to work together to come up with a report that ultimately made a recommendation on, on a site. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the interim period, they had actually discovered um, that boreholes had been done in the Kincardine area as part of a potential railway tunnel. So uh, okay. it turned out a lot of ground conditions um, in the area weren't as bad as some had feared. There was some rock in the north side of the river, and even in the south side, okay, 
rock was uh, fairly deep, but uh, it wasn't so bad that they couldn't contemplate the construction of a bridge there. So ultimately, when all these things were, were put together uh, in June 1930, uh, there was a meeting with the, the Ministry of Transport and the, the various counties and some of the borough councils. They all came together and, and looked at this report. And it was demonstrated by the August that basically the Kincardine option offered the greatest benefits and would actually be cheaper to construct, mm -hmm. even though it was wider potentially than the Aula option. Um, but because of the strategic nature um, of the road, it was felt that Kincardine was definitely the way to go. And in fairness to Clickmanager Council, they, they agreed and they dropped their plans for a, an hour crossing in yeah. favour of Kincardine because it, it was shown that they would benefit from that as well. Mm -hmm. That's interesting you say that, you know, with the Kincardine Bridge, you know, it was potentially, it was longer at Kincardine than it would have been at Alloa. Mm -hmm. And yet there, there was a kind of a, a less cost involved in that. Yeah. And that's really down to those conditions. Yeah, basically, you know? yes, mm. exactly. Um now, one of, the, one of the constraints, as I mentioned earlier, was that they had to allow shipping to continue. Uh, mm. You know, grain and fuel and various other things were brought well, into this, our... This is like a theme, this, with, yeah. with bridges of, of that era. <laughs> there was a lot of this shipping quite far up. Ex know? Exactly. So they, they knew they had to allow for that. And they, they were willing to compromise and say that ships of up to 2,000 tonnes would mm. be allowed to continue upstream. So that as they were putting any proposals together, basically, mm. that had to be allowed for. Um, okay, so bridges over any major rivers require parliamentary approval, as you know, when there's shipping involved and, and other things. So they had to have a parliamentary hearing, and that was held in the spring of 1931. And they sat for a few weeks to consider the uh, for the the various proposals. Now, in the interim period between the the joint report being prepared and and, and them getting to this stage, Alexander Gibbon Partners had actually prepared some designs. For the bridge so they knew by this stage what they wanted it to look like mm -hmm. okay so they went forward to the parliamentary hearing um, with a proposal for a bridge that was just under two two thousand seven hundred feet long mm -hmm. okay and it was going to have a swing span rather than a lift because they did consider the option of you know of a lifting bridge yes. like tower bridge in london for example or the bascule bridge in Chennai. yeah and renfrew yeah, you know renfrew, one like yeah. that but it would actually lift but it was uh, it was demonstrated that actually would be much cheaper to come to up with a, a swing, swing bridge. So it was cost that came down yeah. to. Yeah. Not only that, but that would actually create two separate openings in the channel where ships could proceed upstream or downstream. Ah, so if right, your so ships you went to go both ways, you could have them going down either side of the swing span and clearly. Yes, because it's it swings in the middle. Uh, I, I see what you say here rather than the whole thing swinging to one side. It swung in the middle and it created almost like a central reservation exactly. um, that, you could, you, that ships could use to pass either side. Yeah, exactly. So the, initially the proposal was they were going to allow two openings of 100 feet wide in the river, but after some negotiations with the various river authorities, that was increased to 150, 150 feet. Headroom of 30 feet was initially allowed for. Um, that was later increased to 40 feet, so there was a, it was a bit higher. So that's if, that's if the bridge is closed and you're going, going through. So, you know, some smaller boats can obviously go through any, any time. Um, they approached roads... Uh, were basically non-existent. Um, mm. So Kincardine as a town was there, but on the south side there really wasn't anything. So there was a couple of sets of approach roads were going to be required. Uh, 2,200 yards uh, on the south side and 500 yards on the north. Uh, they also realised that Kincardine's very narrow town centre streets wouldn't be able to cope with the traffic mm -hmm. and therefore a 700 yard long bypass uh, to the north of the town was built as well. That still exists. Yeah. Uh, I think it's, is it Ferrygate? I think that... Uh, that road is called. That's on the main Dunfermline to our road, the A9 
seven seven is by that that's point right. around the north of the town because yeah. of course there was further changes made I think that's later. had improvements yeah. over the years yeah they've done things to that. so but, there's been some things changed as you it's, say. it's in it's kind of crucial to state that there's, there's that is distinct from what is the concordant bypass that yeah. you have now which Aye. is that two plus one thing that of course came much later yes and we'll mention that as well sure at the end so yeah, all the agreements were in place. They, they were pretty clear on what the design was going to be. The need for the bridge was justified. The Ministry of Transport actually mm-hmm. offered to fund 85% of the cost initially, although they, they later cut that to 75% because of the national economic situation. Well, this was an interwar period, wasn't it? So that kind of makes yeah, makes sense. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It should be said as well, there were a number of fairly well-known landowners and the like who were pretty keen to move this forward, various earls and lords. Uh, in the area, some of whom were involved in the local councils as well. Some of them mm-hmm. were real backers of the of the scheme and really pushed for its construction and probably helped it along much more quickly than it might have been otherwise. It always helps when you have local lobbyists. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So that, that all went ahead uh, fairly quickly. Um, so basically the bridge ended up approved uh, in the summer of 1931 and the tenders were issued in December of that year. Of the 12 prices returned, the Cleveland Bridge and Engineering Company was the lowest, with a combined tender of £238,609. That's really cheap. Someone could sell the house and build a bridge for that. A drop in the ocean, exactly. But then again, we have inflation, don't we? Yes. So, So, uh, construction was initially expected to start shortly afterwards, but the national economic situation delayed it slightly, and it was September 1933 before work actually was approved finally, Mm -hmm. uh, with works then starting on site that December. Now, the final project cost actually ended up 327000 That includes the various approach roads. So that cost of 238000 that was only for the bridge. Of the bridge. I was going to say, that's quite an overspend on there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No. Okay. So uh, I think when, when we put that through the inflation calculator, the total cost works out at like £24 million pounds today. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's not too bad at all. That's still quite low for a bridge of that type. I, I think you would struggle to build a, a swing bridge for that price. No, today. I think... Um, some, something uh, I know you you often use this inflation calculator just to mm-hmm. roll against the figures, but yeah. any major projects that are done now have far much more money spent on the consultation phases oh, yeah. with these kind of things that that would traditionally may have happened. And, back and then. the environmental factors working in that marine environment or semi-marine environment with, mm-hmm. with migrating birds and and various yeah, other things. Sites so, of special scientific yeah, interest. There would have, there would be a lot of environmental mitigation that would probably be required now that would that would obviously put that up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, any questions at this stage? You, you were clear on why the bridge is there, and yeah, I, I mean, I do. I, I think in some ways it's quite self-explanatory with these things because you know you want to get across the water, you yeah. still need to allow shipping. You've kind of s- summarising what you said. The choice to have it at Concordance seemed to be the best. Yeah, the ground conditions allowed it. <clears throat> exactly. Yes, there were some challenges with with putting these approach roads in and stuff like that. Although, I mean, we crossing the fourth. So, so it is. I mean, it wasn't for many years, of course, until another bridge came along. Yeah. So still, if, if if there wasn't the crossings that we have over at, you know, Forth and stuff, it would still be a very long way round if we if we look at it now through that perspective. But no, at the time, I think you've, you've justified that. Well, put it this way, even before they started building it, mm-hmm. they knew that when it was complete, it was going to be the longest road bridge in Scotland. Yeah. You know, that's that was this was yeah, a, think of that. This actually. Was a think of most of our, our major structures and things like that have come in in the kind of sixties yeah, and seventies yeah. and it's mostly the post war era. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a big a big project. There was a lot of uh, desire to get it done. There was a lot of interest in it and the people round about as as we've said on other projects, there was a lot of you know, pride. Yes. In the project. 
you know, people bought into it. They, they really mm. saw the benefit in it, particularly people, people uh, in on the both area sides of the river. As well, yeah, yeah I can mm-hmm. see that. Yeah, who were keen to be able to get across much more easily. Um, <clears throat> I should have said as well, actually, that we mentioned the, the connection to the roads. We had the main road in the north, as we mentioned, the Dunfermline mm-hmm. uh, to Alwa Road. And in the south, we actually had the Grangemouth, so the Edinburgh Grangemouth Stirling Road, which is up through Skin Flats, just off the M876. Yep. You know, in that Falkirk, sort of a north-east of Falkirk. Still all there, the A905, I think it is. Uh, in fact, when I was I was talking to Duncan McKnight about this, and he mentioned that actually prior uh, to the construction of the motorways and things, a lot of that road was improved as well because the approaches to the bridge were becoming quite busy. So there's part of the right. A905... Because there was no the back then there was no M nine yeah there was no M eight seven six yeah and, exactly yeah. so you were having to travel up through Falkirk and the like to get there so there was a bit of dueling went on in the forties mm-hmm. um uh, or was planned in the forties I think he said it was ultimately uh, early fifties that it was finished Indeed. um you know so there were some proposals there um okay so a wee bit of information on the design of the bridge now okay. most people will be familiar with the fact that it has steel girders mm-hmm. because they're driving over it and they're driving through it. You know, because it's one of these, it's a, it's a war and trust. You're driving through the middle of it. Yep. Um, so you'll be very aware of, of that. Uh, a lot of people might not know that it has concrete elements as well. If no one's been underneath before, it has concrete, reinforced concrete piers yep. in the river uh, and a steel, you know, steel girders as a deck. Yeah. Um, which, know, so. which makes sense. Yeah. Putting steel in the water is sometimes not a good idea. No, so, no yeah, it certainly ex- isn't. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's salty water. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of composite bridge in, in that sense. Um, it's a multi-span structure, as I'm sure people are aware, and there's there's various individual components that are part of it. Now, I'm going to do one of those things that you do, and I'm going to read out a passage from, okay. a, from an original <laughs> report. It's not lazy. It's just giving people <laughs> uh, an original, a tap into the original information without any embellishment. That's it, what I say. Exactly. Okay. So the various spans of the bridge were uh, were outlined in this 1936 technical paper as follows. Now, this is from north to south. Uh, any descriptions of the bridge were always from north to south in, in the, the, the technical paper. So, it says, the three continuous spans of 62 feet 6 inches. Okay. Okay. So, that's what, 20-odd metres. Over the LNER uh, railway, so that's the London Northeastern Railway. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're on a curve of 520 feet. Okay, so yeah, if you think about it, at the north end of the bridge, the road curves around to the right. Yeah. And that, of course, was so that it could tie in with the new approach road that yes. they, were, they were constructing at that no, end. I, I know that bend. I was always walking around it, yep. Yep. Uh, there are then seven steel spans, each of 100 feet, which is just about 30 metres. Uh, and they're constructed as a system of cantilevers with 50 feet girders in alternate spans. Uh, this economic and convenient method um, form of construction uh, lent itself admirably to the adoption of the arched shape of girder, which is a characteristic feature of the design. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you can see that it's, it's got an arched profile mm-hmm. underneath. Um, now I'm, I'm actually quite lucky. I've been under there on a boat. Yes, you have. Um, yeah. So I have actually seen it quite close. Well, imagine up how underneath. cold you would have been on that day. <laughs> Again, yeah, that was June. <laughs> yeah. So I, I have seen it up close underneath, and you know what? We're going to be sharing some photos in the new web article that will mm. show that detail. 
so worth having a look if anyone's... I think it's also worth saying here as well, is Kincardine's one of these bridges, uh, it's, it's different from others, that you get most of an appreciation for a bridge when you drive over it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Kincardine's actually a little bit different. You get more of an appreciation for Kincardine when you look at it yeah. from the side. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I've always found it, it's, it's, it's far more striking and impressive to actually look at it from another angle, not a driver's angle. And you know, more people probably see it from the side now that Clark's bridge yes. is there. Yeah, mm-hmm. because before it was very difficult. Quacks is like the viewing platform for I, it. Exactly. In many ways, like the Queensferry Crossing is a viewing platform for the fourth for for bridge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, then we have the steel swing span in the middle. That's three hundred and sixty-four feet. It's a worn truss type, as as I mentioned. And it says here it's symmetrically balanced on a centre pier at midstream. So yeah, the turning mechanism and all that's all based in that large central pier. I believe mm-hmm. that is pier number eleven, actually. Uh, and the structure is then protected from shipping by a timber jetty, which is 470 feet long and 50 feet wide. Uh, I remember that timber jetty. Yes. That's still there. It is. And I remember you you were saying, don't ever walk on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's quite old now. It's 85. Yeah, I, I, do, I always found it quite old. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that fine. timber jetty, incidentally, is constructed from Canadian Douglas fir. Oh. Um, creosoted here... Um, being shipped into Grangemouth from Canada, mm. Empire Timber, as it's described, um, and uh, and brought upstream uh, on barges to the site because that's, the, a, that's a lovely little interesting yeah, bit. Of the, the jetty was actually constructed um, early-ish in the contract. So the, the, well, this is a, I've got a question then. I yeah. can put to you. I don't know if you know the jetty were, were just there to protect it. Yeah. Or were they there for landing certain things no, or no. doing things it, it, that they weren't for? It says in the paper that it was there to protect the, the centre span from being struck by a ship. Yeah, because I always looked at it and thought, oh, they must have had some other purpose. So that's some... did, you're right, it did have uh, you know, uh, equipment there to allow landings of, of boats, mm-hmm. uh, whether that was for inspection purposes or, or whatever. Possibly. Um, Something incidental, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the main feature of the jetties, we're going off on a tangent here, but I don't, I don't mind, mm-hmm. uh, is the two old semaphore signals. Oh, on either right. end of, of the uh, their twin arm semaphore signals, which would drop when it was clear for yeah. the ships to go. I think the, I think one arm would drop when they were prepared to open the bridge, and the second would drop when it was clear for the ships to go. And there was lights and various things. Now those signals are still there, so if you get a chance, walk over the bridge on the north footway. I think you get the best look at it. If I remember rightly, the one on the south side of the bridge wasn't in the best condition the last time I looked. Uh, so the, what would you say the north of like the west the north side? well the north or the west footway yeah yeah, yeah. That's it. that would be the that would be the best one to walk on to get a good look at that yeah so yeah there you go just a a wee, a wee fact there uh for you okay um what else do we have okay so there's then seven further spans each of a hundred feet similar to those first set that we mentioned and there's nine reinforced concrete spans each of 50 feet with an arched underside similar to the uh, to that adopted for the steel. So when you're getting to the southern end, actually the entire bridge becomes concrete. There's no steel yeah, on that side. It's a viaduct yeah. under there. Yeah. And you've also got the 265 feet long piled reinforced concrete viaduct as well. Um, so yeah, that's that's interesting. That's basically, yeah. the, the the makeup. So of that the was bridge. the thing that I found when I very first went to that bridge. Uh, I was something I didn't realise about it was that approach viaduct almost mm-hmm, from the mm-hmm. south, and that's that's quite big. It's massive. Yeah. You know? That's actually scheduled for replacement uh, yes. fairly shortly. Twenty twenty two, I think, is. I think I've, I remember replacement. when they were in there doing all the boreholes mm-hmm. and everything and looking for that. Yeah, yeah, there's been some media recently about that. I think it's due for replacement next year, so stay tuned mm-hmm. um, for that. 
Um, okay, the, the structure itself has 19 reinforced concrete supports of varying dimensions and styles. Uh, these are mostly cylindrical. Some of them sit on their, on their own. Others are interconnected with, with other concrete. Um, and, and most of these, particularly on the north side, are founded on rock. Mm -hmm. um, there was piles used, of course, in the construction, as there always is, with bridges as well. And the bridge deck is made up of two five-feet-wide foot footways and a single 30-feet-wide carriageway. So yeah, It's a single carriageway. Single carriageway road with a couple of footways on the other side. And it's edged with granite curbs. They used a light granite because it was felt that it was easier for drivers to see at night. So, oh. Mm -hmm. That's quite like advanced it. at the time, wasn't yeah, it? Almost like an edge line. It is, of it's, it's rather sad, but it's difficult to see the curbs now because we have that temporary barrier is in place along oh, the, yeah. the length of the bridge to provide additional protection for vehicles because the original railings certainly weren't rated to 44 ton vehicles like we we see today mm -hmm. so that's why that protection's in there if anybody has ever wondered uh two concrete portals mark the extents of the swing span and these include sliding gates each weighing four tons now people won't have seen these because obviously the bridge hasn't swung for 30 odd years but these huge portcullis style gates would lower they would down, come down vertically yeah, at a rate of I think it said that it would take 15 seconds or something to bring them down. How and, dramatic. Yeah. I love and it. Each of them <laughs> had 12 bright red lamps mm -hmm. on them as well. So when these things were down and all that, you, you wouldn't So if you were going them. over there at night or something, or if it was poor conditions, you'd see them. Exactly. Exactly. Now, the swing span, which was actually the longest in Europe at the time, lots of Scottish bridges have got international records for a time when they were built, yeah. haven't they? Erskine had one way a few a few weeks ago when we were talking about that and Kingston had one and you know it's yeah, there's kind of a uniqueness about yeah. them that gives them that yeah. and the fourth road bridge I think is, was as well for a time so mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah um, anyway the swing span weighs 1600 tons mm -hmm. so it's quite heavy as you can imagine and its mechanism was, was basically intended to be electrically powered and there's two 50 horsepower DC motors uh, in place that allows it to swing uh, there was a backup diesel generator available in case of any power failures. So it was, it was plugged in, basically, yeah. to the grid. Yes. But had these generators in there in case something happened to the supply, they could still open the yeah. bridge. Now, the the swing span it, it was quite a feat of mechanical engineering at that time. Very, very well engineered. It had to, because it all had to come together nicely. And, of course, if you've got a nicely machined mechanism, it's much more efficient to use and to open and maintain and look yep. after. So they were they're very proud of the fact that there was elements of it that were machined to within like a thousandth of an inch or you know, something that kind of detail, you know, and it's all it's all in that technical paper. Um basically at the push of a button, the turning mechanism was quickly brought into action. The rollers located beneath the structure were machined, as I say, to very high accuracy, and this enabled uh, the opening of the bridge to be completed in only a few minutes. Um, Which is what you want, yeah. you know, so you don't have huge queues at this thing and ships waiting. Exactly, mm. yeah. And I think it was said that initially, the entire process, up from them being made aware that a ship was wanting to pass to the road completely reopening, was somewhere in the region of 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. But in later years, as they had refined the process and they were well trained, they actually managed to get it down to about 11 minutes. So that's, that's, good. that's not too bad. Mm. It's not too bad. Of course, traffic in those days would be much lighter as yeah. well. So you wouldn't have the same issues, you mm. know, with the swing bridges. Then again, it was still only the one crossing over the fourth, so you'd want to be yeah, able to get that know, get exactly. that nailed. Yep. Now, some people might wonder, well, how did this bridge get held in position when it wasn't 
open or rotating. You know, what was to stop yeah. it swinging open? Well, <laughs> in the wind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. It's a very windy location, as, as you say. And basically, to lock the bridge in place, um, there was some hydraulic oil-operated locking bolts. So basically, they would push a button and, and these bolts would retract. Mm-hmm. And then the brakes would be released. And then they would follow a whole procedure that would allow the bridge to go through its opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, it could turn 360 degrees. And apparently, every Sunday morning for years, they used to rotate it a full 360 degrees so that there was an even wear on all components. That's such a cool fact. Yeah. I like that because the fact you said it was 360 degrees, I imagine almost like this lazy Susan of a bridge. <laughs> you know, like that, you would just swing it around just yeah. to see, just to do that. Yeah. And then I suppose, um, you know, obviously it had to sit back in the right position, but that totally makes sense, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it says here the design for the, uh, for the control room and an engine room uh, was was also quite innovative because it was all contained within that cylindrical center span. Yes, that's yeah. right. So the the engine rooms below, the engine rooms below. Yeah, and the control rooms obviously above. Above. Yeah, yeah. We'll, t- we'll talk a, b- a bit more about that. Oh, shortly. don't worry, I wasn't going to steal your thunder yeah. yet, so it's fine. So the thing about this bridge is there's so much to discuss, uh, particularly in the design and construction. We just don't have the time here to go through no. it all. So one of the things I'm hoping to do is to make some additional reading available on the new web article mm-hmm. where people can actually go away and really read the in-depth technical information on this. See it all in one place. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what we're giving you here is basically just a, a summary. But it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm learning a couple of things here. I did not know that. I, I <laughs> didn't know most of this. Yeah. I, I yep. didn't know most of this either. A lot of this was news to me. Um. Okay. Uh, any questions on the design? No, not so no. far. Not um, so far. I think it did say that other options were considered and discounted. Um, I, I mean, at the time, they were kind of limited with the forms of construction that were available to them. So they probably had to go with steel girders and trusses and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, but anyway, construction was finally underway in December of 1933 and actually was completed less than three years later in October of 1936, so just, you know... Quite a technical and complicated thing, that no. uh, for the time, mm-hmm. that's not bad. No, I didn't think so either. Yeah. I thought that was uh, I thought that was quite good. At its peak, the site employed more than 200 men, and one of the things they were particularly proud of was the fact that there were no major accidents recorded during Fantastic. the construction. Now, at the time, that was probably quite unusual, because we've heard of nasty accidents in some of the big projects like Clyde Tunnel, Force Road Bridge. Back, back before kind of the, the self health and safety culture yeah. that we have now and the control over these things. Yeah. Then again, the guys weren't maybe working at extreme heights, you know, yeah. or in, in these conditions, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. might, might have been a factor in that. Yeah, exactly. Um, interestingly, uh, the initial works obviously involved piling, uh, you know, for the new supports and, and the like. But they actually built uh, two temporary bridges, two temporary timber bridges, uh, spanning it across the river from each shore with a channel in the middle to allow shipping to continue. And on top of these two timber bridges were railway tracks. So there was two standard gauge tracks on top of each of these bridges, one for cranes and, and plant, the other for wagons. So basically, as they were spanning it across the river and they were digging the caissons and the mm. like for the foundations and for the reinforced concrete supports, they were obviously excavating material. So they would grab that out of the river dump it in the wagons that were on this timber bridge and then the wagons would be drawn off and then onto the railway and taken away from site. It's better than having barges sitting there, yeah. I suppose, clogging the whole thing mm-hmm. up when you're still trying to get ships through. Yeah. So when you say this is a bridge, I suppose it kind of approached from either side and you say with a gap in the middle yeah. to that. So it was, it was like a proper timber bridge. They, they had some some steel joists, according to the paper. Um, some, some of the timber sections were particularly huge. I think it was like a foot square 
some of the timber sections they were using because the fourth is quite fast flowing you, you'll be aware from the number of times we've been there the tidal range is quite large there as well yeah, it is you know yeah. it changes very quickly as well so they, they were conscious of that and they knew that this these bridges were going to have to last potentially up to three years so they were fairly robust um i thought it was quite interesting the fact that it had these tracks on it and there's a couple of photos online which sadly um i think the one that we're going to show um we've we've licensed a few images to show from historic environment scotland and i think you might just about see the tracks but there are a couple of others online that have much better views yeah. of the uh, of the tracks and i will provide a link to that to local concarden history page mm. i recommend that one to mm-hmm. these. yeah yeah okay so these two these two timber bridges got, uh, were built out uh, they were completed by 1935 okay which obviously the as they were extending it across the river that was taking a bit of time there was one incident where a steamer ship collided overnight with one of the of these bridges and caused considerable damage um, I think it said it was the one that was coming out from the south shore and that actually caused a three-month delay to the project because it all had to be rebuilt. Um, but that was the only major incident, I believe, in the, during the construction of the bridge. Mm-hmm. And that was ultimately had to be replaced. And as they spanned out, of course, across the river, then the deck was getting put, put in place. They could remove, you know, parts of the timber bridge below. Because they had, you know, the bridge they were yeah. building to help them build the bridge they were building. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, now, construction of the reinforced concrete piers at the North Shore involved the use of caissons. As I said, now caissons to people who who don't know are basically big steel cylinders that are put down into the water to hold the water out as they yeah. then excavate you the soil. You put the casing in and yeah. you take you take the water out of it. And so then you have you a dry then, place to work. Yeah, and you then basically pump it full of concrete and reinforcement and various other things to build up to level, and then your support gets built on, on the top of that. And then when you're done, you let the water back in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now... Um, it did say that they had some issues um, with water ingress to some of these casings and they had to change the mechanism uh, that was involved and eventually they switched to a system with sealed cylinders and compressed air. So they were basically using compressed air to hold the water out, mm-hmm. um, which can be quite dangerous as we've learned kind of from a, the Clyde a, Tunnel. A reverse vacuum. Kind yeah. Of a, yeah. yeah, so that, that apparently worked much better for them and that allowed progress to continue. Uh, that permanent timber jetty that we were talking about earlier that was completed in the autumn of 1935 um and again as i mentioned preempted myself a bit that was a canadian douglas fir um now more than four thousand tons of steel and 150,000 rivets were used in the construction of the bridge and the steel work as normal for the time and and even some of the later motorway bridges was supplied uh, to the site by sir william arrow and company of glasgow Mm. yeah familiar with them yeah yep uh, and that was all shipped in by rail and then moved by crane out to the uh, the position. Now, some of the larger girders uh, had to be delivered in sections and bolted together in sight because some of them were 150 feet long, I believe. So they broke them down into 50-foot sections. So there you go. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. The swing span was completed in mid-1936 and was a fine example of both structural and mechanical engineering. Um, it was erected in the open position to maintain shipping channels and it was finished at a very high standard. Believe it or not, a trial erection of this wingspan was actually undertaken at the fabrication yard prior to its transportation to site to make sure it could all They fit dry together. fitted it. They yeah. done it all together. So yeah. when it came to site, it was actually quite easy to We know up. this is going to work. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I thought that was quite interesting, actually. Um, and a headroom travelling through the bridge, so anyone who's driven through there will know that there's headroom of 18 feet. Hmm. 
So that's uh, that's well above the 16 feet 6 minimum that yeah. we, we see elsewhere on the network. Um, now, I mentioned those two concrete portals at either end of the, the swing span. Uh, they were adorned, or they are still adorned, with the coats of arms of Stirlingshire, Fife and Clickmanninshire. And the name of the bridge is displayed in bronze lettering. Each portal, as we mentioned, is fitted with those gates, which were lowered to keep traffic off the swing span. And they basically did have an ornamental finish. You know, mm. they finished a very high standard. Uh, and in some of the photos that we share on the, on the web article, you'll be able to see those gates in the lowered position. I'm sure that'd be a nice. It'd be good. It says some. here in your notes they weighed four ton each. Yeah, four ton each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is quite quite substantial. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Now the bridge control room. Ah, the good bit. Yes, it's a lovely control room. Yes, it's. So let's let's consider this. When we think yeah. of control rooms for mm-hmm. bridges and and other piece of infrastructure, it's some building remote to it. The control room is on the bridge. Yes. It's, where it is is quite hard and it's it's actually not very obvious is how it? many people do you think have driven over that like me not realized me. yeah i i used to because I've, I've driven over concordant prior to prior to having to work with it yeah um and i never same. knew that was up there absolutely the same no one never realized it was there so it's 30 feet 10 meters above the the, the road uh, mm-hmm. in the mid span of the swing span yeah so next time you're driving look up you'll see some windows uh, um, and various things up there that big box that's the control room yes now it's important to note just before you go on when we, I said remote buildings, mm. CCTV was not a thing no. back then. So the control room being there completely makes sense because mm-hmm. it had a perfect view of the entire situation, fantastic viewpoint of the entire bridge you know. and the river. Now yeah. I mean, we have kind of regional control centres that are hundreds yeah. of miles away from exactly. whatever they're controlling. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, now we've both been in that control room. We have. Um, it's stunning. It's yeah, I mean it's all it's wood panelled and yeah. everything if I remembered and teak, uh, teak yeah, <laughs> we're just getting to that and uh, a total time capsule yeah maintained uh, in in such a way as part of the listing of the bridge uh, and as part of the agreement when it when it closed mm-hmm. uh, it's almost uh, been retained as a as a museum uh, as a monument to the original yeah it's 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 amazing I mean when we we were in there um, because we we did we had to go in and inspect and look mm-hmm. at these things it's, it's very secure and stuff yeah. but um, yeah there's still newspapers in there and everything yeah. from like when the, the the days that the guys worked in yeah. there with these lovely portraits of the bridge masters yeah it's it's it's, it's really quite something I've never visit. been anything like it in, in when working with infrastructure I've never seen yeah anything no like I'm that. I'm not yeah. one for for that kind of either um, you know me I'm all mostly post-war but Your 60s 70s yeah, yeah. I, I found it very interesting it's, I loved it yeah, yeah. And, and there will be a photograph or two of the control room on the, the web article mm-hmm. as well so hopefully people will have a look at that and there are some available online of it as it looked when it opened as well mm-hmm. you can see plenty of those online so, and the finish even in some of the control panels is it's fabulous it's lovely. Yeah, yeah it really is now even then when the bridge opened they knew that it was 24 hour operation 7 days a week you know, shipping was coming and going constantly, so that the, the control room had to be manned constantly, and and that dictated, really, that it had to have good facilities. So they provided a mess, uh, you know, facilities for the staff. Uh, there was there was lavatory provision, uh, yeah. fresh, running water, hot water. Mm. Uh, again, we've seen it. There's a kitchen. Yeah, there's a cooker um, and everything in mm-hmm, there. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, it was all you know, pretty good to work in. Very well insulated as well, because of course it'd be quite windy up there. Quite mm-hmm. cold. It could be a while between ships coming, so you might want to, you know, you want to be comfortable. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, the control room was there. Probably one of the earliest examples of a of a an on site control room on a bridge. 
mm-hmm. in Scotland. I always loved it, the fact that they had these binoculars up there. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of pictured these guys sitting up there, kind of looking off in the distance and looking. And also, I suppose, for maybe managing any incidents yep. that happened on the on the bridge, you know, that happened. So. Believe it or not, there is a photograph on the Scran website, which is part of Historic Environment okay. Scotland, of one of the bridge staff with those binoculars looking downstream to a ship. <laughs> Just the very thing, probably the very binoculars yep. I, I had to look through. Will be. Yeah. Of course it will be, yeah. It's, it's so much history. It yeah, is. It really it's is. But anyway, we're still talking about the construction here. Uh, so, yeah, I said operators were given an uninterrupted view of the bridge uh, through the use of large windows on all sides of the control room, which everyone will now notice as they're driving mm-hmm. over. And the bridge was provided with ornamental lamp standards. The street lighting out there is really nice. And, you know, it was converted to LED recently mm-hmm. in a very sympathetic way. So it still yeah, has its original look. It's, it's yeah, rather than just taking them down and putting up standard yeah. kind of um, aluminium columns yeah. or something. So it's yeah. twenty inch diameter Morocco glass globes. <laughs> Is go. that what they're called? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And and similarly, there were ornamental lighting uh, standards and columns on the jetty as well mm-hmm. on both sides of them. Although I believe there's only a few left. So, have we been missing a trick here, Stuart? Should we have ornamental lighting on our motorways? Why not? <laughs> Why not? Sections, big cast iron things, yeah. Some of us consider high mast lighting to be ornamental. Job. It is. Yeah, it's, well, it's very functional. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, profiled parapet railings were installed and are still in place. Mm-hmm. And all steel work was painted to a very high finish. Yeah. And you know, originally they used to touch up the paint every year. Oh, right. Okay. There you go. I did not know that, mm. to be honest with you. Well, you know, given the size of the bridge, I wouldn't have thought it would have been every, every single year. Mm-hmm. So I know with some of the larger structures, a painting is a continuous exercise. Which know. is probably what they were doing. So it would be section one this year, section two the next year, and mm. then they would do all that on a rotor, wouldn't they? Just like mm. the- it's lasted well. I mean, I found yeah. when when I we had a look around it all the time, as part of these inspections, you know, it, it, it was in reasonable nick yeah. in these parts that you were talking about which is which is really a testament to uh to how well it was built to the quality and of it, how yeah. well it was maintained oh most definitely yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i'm going to mention the maintenance in just a second fun enough because we we can't go through a podcast without talking about the maintenance and, oh and good after things. remind me of work <laughs> yeah a <laughs> uh, approach roads uh, construction yep. of the approach roads was completed fairly well in advance of the, the bridge opening the traffic as you imagine they're usually the easy bits yep uh, to do in the south, a new single carriageway uh, linking to the existing Grangemouth Stirling group was constructed. Today, this forms part of the A985 and the M876. Uh, in the north, a new section of road linking the bridge to the Dunfermline Alloa Road was constructed, and a bypass of Kincardine uh, Town Centre was also constructed. As I mentioned uh, earlier, that is known, or would be known now as I believe it's Ferrygate. Mm-hmm. Um, the bridge was open to traffic on the afternoon, 12 noon apparently. Um, on the 29th of October 1936, by the S- convener... Strange time to open a bridge. Yeah, the stroke of noon, it says in the in the paper. Strange. Yeah. Okay. Normally uh, it's the morning or night. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that was by the, the conveners of Fife, Stirlingshire and Click Manninshire. Ah. It was immediately popular and within a week was being used by more than 1,200 vehicles a day. Now, in yeah. 1936, that was a lot of traffic. They probably think, oh, Russia. Yeah. Yeah, 1,200 a day. That's what you probably get on some single-track roads, you know? Yeah. 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 So it was very popular. That is more or less the construction. Mm. But let's talk a wee bit about, the, about its operation okay. over the years. Okay. At its peak, the bridge swung open more than 50 times a month. Okay. okay. So more than one a day. 
Yeah, I was going to say it works out about a couple of times a day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a process that could take up to 20 minutes to complete, as, as I mentioned earlier. Although they did say they managed to get, get that down to 11 minutes, I think, in some, in some cases. By the 1970s and 80s, this opening of the bridge resulted in congestion because there were many more vehicles on the road and slowing everything down to a halt for 10 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. created queues. And apparently there were more than a few irate drivers <laughs> at that <laughs> of time. Of course, I mean, you, that, that kind of delays. But we all know what it's like being stuck at a level crossing. You yeah, know? It's, it's kind of similar, isn't it? It's mm. like one of those level crossings where you're sitting and sitting and sitting. And it's not just yeah. one train, there's two. The only thing was, though, I've always thought about this, is that only for a certain time until, what, 1964, when, you know, that other bridge. Yes, that's a good point. Um, mentioned on one of the articles that I was reading, I think it was a, a newspaper article, one of the Alloa newspapers. Mm-hmm. It did say that traffic did drop off quite a bit in 64. Because when the we, we know the fourth opened. opened. Yeah. yeah. Um, although Kincardine then immediately became the backup route if fourth had to close for weather reasons. Yeah. So it kind of found a, it, it almost had a new role as a as mm-hmm. a backup thereafter, but still very well used by local traffic. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It, it is for that look. Also access to the A985 and yeah, these kind of and, things. And, yeah. and it was mentioned in another article that I read actually that it remained the route of choice for a lot of people going from Glasgow to like Fife and uh, and, and even Perth, St mm-hmm. Andrews um, because you, you would go basically up the A80, the A76, cut across through Falkirk over the Kincarn Bridge and then up that A road because up through Crook of Devon up to Kinross. Yeah. And that would then bring you out to the, the A91. I think it I takes don't know, you up I to don't, the A91, I haven't got my phone, yeah. so... And eventually you end yeah. up up where, up at Kinross, near the That's A91. probably the way I would go. Yeah. Even st- if I was coming from Glasgow and go that way, or I'd probably go along the A985. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, nowadays you would get pushed across the Clacks Bridge if you were doing that manoeuvre. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I think that's part of the A977 or, or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. So, yeah, it, it was always well used by, mm-hmm. by people. Um, now... Let's talk about the Bridgemasters first. So in the period from 1936 to 1988, there were four Bridgemasters of Kincardin. The first was Mr. James Boyd, Boyd, who I mentioned earlier, who later received his British Empire Medal in the control room. Uh, The third, Mr. George Reid, actually worked on the bridge for more than 40 years. Ah, okay. Yeah, there was one one final chap who was there for a couple of years before they decided to take the operation away, which I'm going to tell you about in a minute. So there was only really three Bridgemasters. Yeah. What was interesting to me, and I hadn't appreciated this before, the bridge masters at Kincardine were not only responsible for Kincardine, they had responsibility for seven or eight other bridges across Scotland. Other swing bridges. Ah, uh, uh, okay, right. So, a, a couple of examples here that I've included. So, Inchinnan. So, they were responsible for the one down at Renfrew. Mm-hmm. And then the Benavi. Is it Benavi Swing Bridge on the A82 as well? Is that way up near... Um, Towards Inverness, I think. Is it Fort Augustus? Is it Fort Augustus? Or yep. something like mm-hmm. that. Because I came across this yep. um, when, when I was doing the North Coast 500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I decided to come down that yep. way. And yeah, there was a so bridge a few, there. There's a few swing bridges yeah. up there. and So they were all responsible for them. And also another one, and I need to do a bit more digging in this. And, and this shows our, perhaps our ignorance with some of these things. But also made reference to Castle Carey Bridge in Stirlingshire. Now, Castle Carey to me is at the arches. I yeah. wonder if that... Did that old canal bridge lift, or was there one near there that lifted? Possibly. Somebody will know, and they'll be able to tell us. Yes. Um, so that was interesting. I can't so, yeah. reach Google from here. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> so these these guys were responsible for 
for all these Various bridges. bridges across. What, so does that mean that they weren't there every day, or well, they, they, they kind of went around to different sites? Yeah, it implied that there were obviously some staff for each of these bridges, but that what the guys in charge had responsibility for yeah. more than more like than God was seen as the the main one. Yeah, it know? was the control. It was the center um, for all the swing bridges. Um, uh, it's, right. it's mentioned in one of the historic, <coughs> excuse me, articles. So they speak on the telephone. Yeah, other places. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Any questions on that? No, so far. I mean, it's, it's all interesting, though. Yeah. Uh, okay. So by the 1980s, uh, <laughs> we weren't really shipping grain upstream to Awa, and we yeah. weren't really taking petrol by ship either. Mm-hmm. Um, and the need for that access for big ships really was declining. Not only that, the bridge was becoming a bit outdated in terms of its internal electrics and components. And basically they reached the stage where they were going to have to either modernise the bridge and give it a full refurbishment or close it. And the decision was made after a public inquiry to close the bridge permanently. And that was it. That was basically it. Now there was some... Yeah. Yeah. There was some outcry. It didn't go through easily. I think the Scottish office did have a wee bit of a fight in its hands. As I say, it went to public inquiry. Ultimately, it was decided that, you know, there really was no justification for this bridge to continue to open. And that said, they didn't just close it one day and say, okay, well, that's us. They they did have a a few events to mark the occasion. And the last day that it opened was actually on Sunday, the 31st of January, 1988. Mm -hmm. Now, I was kind of annoyed to see that some people online have said that it was November 1987, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't. I wonder if perhaps 19, November 87 was maybe the last time that a ship went through. Yeah, and then they just opened yeah. it again as a kind of ceremonial yeah. thing. So on that Sunday, the 31st of January, that was like the celebration day. Now, there's a great video of this on YouTube. So if you, yeah, so if you search Kincardine Bridge opening mm-hmm. on YouTube, you'll see that. Now, I'm going to put a link to that on the new web article as well, so people can actually watch that. I, yeah, I mean, I've, um, I think I've seen said video w- yeah. w- going on about it. I'd mm-hmm. love to see it with my own eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it never opened again purely for a maintenance? Let's no. check and see kind no. of if this would no. still work. No. no, So they closed it in January 88. Um, <clears throat> and thanks to Donald Sterling, one okay. of our followers who's a, who's a keen photographer, we actually have some great photos from that day. And, uh, and Donald has shared some of those. We're going to share them in the web article. Great. Stunning photos. I'm going to show them to you after we finish recording this because I know you'll appreciate them. I will. <laughs> I'm too <laughs> um, busy reading the notes when I came over here for yeah. what was going to be said. I haven't had a chance to look at these photos. So throughout 1989, basically, the, the work to lock the bridge in position was undertaken. Um, they, they decided, as I say, they would maintain, they, you know, they would retain the original features as they were and they would, they would keep it almost as a museum, as a monument to what was there before. Mm-hmm. And that's the position that we're in 30-odd years later. Yeah. Um, you know, so so the bridge is there now. It was stated that throughout the eight, throughout the, out the seventies and eighties, the responsibility for some of those other bridges that they originally had was gradually passed to the various regional councils. Okay. Okay. So by the time Kincardine was closed, uh, they were no longer responsible for other, uh, you know, bridges across the country. So, like for example, the one in Inchinnan, <clears throat> that would have gone to Strathclyde Regional Council. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it did say as well that uh, of the staff who were left at that time, some of them went to Central Regional Council, uh, some retired and some were made redundant, or some, it said some accepted redundancy, so I assume on a right. voluntary basis. Um, and by 1989, that was it. It's never opened since. And someone on Twitter asked, or Facebook asked, if the bridge, or they assumed the bridge had opened during the construction of Clark Manninshire. No, it didn't. 
The bridge. Well, why would it do that? It's like, what, to get materials yeah. there or the, something The like bridge that. cannot open now. Yeah, I was, this was a question yeah. I actually had. I mean, what would it take to get that bridge We're working again? I think it would probably be a lot more than a few cans of WD-40. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the expansion joint system and all the things on the bridge deck, there's been a lot of changes made there. Yeah. Um, you know, it would not just be a case of turning up and flipping a few switches and getting that bridge to open. Um, yeah. Okay, the original engine room and stuff is all still in place, but it's, I mean, it's obsolete. Yeah. You know. It's not, it's not been maintained to the level no. to keep it running. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you would, you know, the, br- the bridge is never opening again. So sad. <laughs> <laughs> it is in a way. It is. It is there's a sadness to that. So, uh, a few final lines uh, that I had that I had prepared. Basically, the bridge remains an important link in the trunk road network uh, today. Mm. Uh, particularly, that was realised when the fourth road bridge had to close for emergency works a few years ago. It came and, to the rescue, yeah, didn't it? Twenty fifteen. Uh, exactly, and even yep. recently, when the Queensferry crossing has had to close for some issues as well. Kincardine's still there, providing it back up. Yeah. Good old Kincardine. Good old Kincardine. Yeah. I have nothing else to say. I think that's more than enough. I think it's been one of the most educating kind of topics, <laughs> refreshing that we've 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 had in a while. Um, to be honest with you, but thank you for researching it's, that. We we do have a few questions if we've got time. Yeah. Um, that people have sent in, and we can it's, talk it's, about them. You know, ones. it's it's one of these things. You'll know because we we do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Either when you start digging into something, you find nothing and you have to make some assumptions, or you find so much that yeah. you could never possibly share all of it. And Kincartan's mm-hmm. been one of those cases where you just could not it's the latter, share all of it. Isn't it. So, as I say, I'll put links to the other articles on the bridge mm-hmm. on the webpage and, and have a look, and there's so much detail yeah. available out there. in the construction process, even on the opening sequence for the bridge, mm-hmm. it's described line by line in great detail. Um, and how it all came together. Fascinating read. I recommend it. That's it. Mm. So when are we doing clacks? Do people talk about that bridge? <laughs> it's an interesting bridge. bridge. That yeah. is an interesting bridge. It's another one of these interesting ones that I believe originally, if you go back to the 90s, that was originally going to be a replacement for Kincardine. Yes. Rather uh, than a, uh, like a, a sister bridge. I, I, I've, I've never really wondered what it does. Um, I sometimes thought, yes, it's a replacement, but it does slightly do a, a different function. It goes yeah. in a slightly different direction. Yeah, at know? some point they obviously made the decision that rather than replace Kincardine, they would build an additional bridge that would deal with a proportion of the traffic that went yes. in a certain direction. So traffic, as we mentioned, any of that traffic, Glasgow to Fife, yeah. St Andrews, Dundee even, Perth, mm-hmm. you go over Clacks and you, you go north. Similarly, if you're going to Aula and you're coming up from Glasgow, you probably cross Clacks and turn left at the end. If you're going to Dunfermline, Kirkcaldy, and you're coming up from Glasgow and you've decided to go that way, you would cross Kincardine and take the A985, all the way to Junction 1A, 2? The A90? It's, yeah. uh, well, it's now 1C. 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 It's changed that many times. So it's Junction yeah. 1 at Admiralty. It's Admiralty. And uh, uh, 1C, yeah. And then you, then you could join the M90 there and then take the A92 mm. or whatever. So, you know, it still has a still has a fairly important role. Now, yeah. that was something we were supposed to mention, was that when Clacks came along, they amended a lot of the road network. Now, I remember, just actually remember, driving up there over Kincardin one Saturday afternoon and getting caught in traffic going through Kincardin Town Centre. Mm-hmm. So they bypassed Kincardin again to the south that's when right. Clacks got built. That's the 2 plus 1 road Yeah, um, with the overtaking lanes. Yeah. That's so, really useful, that. So traffic yeah. crossing the Kincardin Bridge now actually doesn't need to go through Kincardin Town Centre. Because I guess mm-hmm. probably tens of thousands of vehicles a day were using the bridge by the, you know, by the time Clacks 
came along because it's still mm. a very busy bridge. Yeah. You know, to, actually, I wish I had looked up the traffic flows, but it must be well, single carriageway, so its capacity is kind of limited, but it must be more than 10,000 a day, I would think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. When we visited, we found it quite busy. Oh, it's always busy. Even even that there were there was plenty of things thundering over it, you yeah. know, which necessitated these mm-hmm. inspections somewhat. But uh, yeah, no, yeah, it's a busy, bridge. busy old bridge, an interesting one. Something that I've come to to respect a bit more than I maybe did mm-hmm. a few years ago because it was not a motorway bridge, and it, it was in a way, Stuart. I was kind of like, this is something we got to do. But also, it was it had this kind of uh, historical aspect to it, which I know you said you liked a lot of the, the kind of post-war stuff. Yeah. But no, I I did appreciate it for those things. Yeah. So, conscious of time, so you better ask me some of these questions. Right. Well, this question can be answered immediately. Okay. So this one is Lewis Dorman, um, who I think this has come through on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Asked, why did they decommission the rotating portion, and would yeah. they ever recommission it? Well, you covered so this. Covered it, was out, it was outdated, and no, they wouldn't. Yes. To be honest, because it's been basically held now in place, and all the stuff that's with it, expansion joints, as you yep. say, mm-hmm. it wouldn't work. No. Okay. Isn't. <laughs> uh, Interesting question. Okay. This is from David da- David Ochart, who said, it's said that the bridge is haunted. Uh, haunted by whom? The, the, the ghosts of former operatives who... Who worked there, worked there. Or, or, or things that might have happened, or... Have you... Did you hear anything about this? Um, you know, we don't like focusing on the, on the, the awful things so much, but I believe there was one incident where a, a, a truck or a car crashed through the railings and ended up in the river, and, and the body was found two or three weeks later. Okay. Um, that's the only nasty thing that I read about. Um, as well, I I've, I've never heard that it's no. haunted. And we, I mean, we went there for over a year. I don't remember seeing any ghosts. I don't remember seeing any ghosts. No. And it's, it, I didn't get that vibe about it. You know what I mean? It's like, it, I never put that down in the inspections. Oh, yeah, there was a phantom out there at, at, at between spans four and five. And the, yeah, no. I think maybe seeing ghosts there would be more likely when someone sweeping the road, the road actually. Um, but yeah, it's very difficult to sweep because of that barrier, you see. Um, no, I, I've not heard anything about it being being haunted. No. And like I said, I've never, never seen anything there. But you, know, you never know. This isn't Coast to Coast FM. So mm-hmm. we'll move on to the um, the the next one. Yep. Um, <laughs> I'm just just looking down here. It's it's uh, somebody as you said. Um, I'm just looking at these. Aren't really kind of questions. Just some some interactions. I'm finding quite humorous actually. Yeah. But I'll I'll skip over that. I'm going to mention that in a minute. So yeah, okay. ask me the question first, and then I'll talk about the the interactions below. Okay, well, I don't actually have... Um, well, somebody does see it, says, you know, when was the last time it was opened? But, so that was know. the January 1988. Yeah, so yeah. when we ask people for questions on the podcast, on social media, we ask people to do that so that we can answer them on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We don't expect Mrs. Know-It-All and Mr. Know-It-Everything to jump in and answer the questions looking at you, Duncan McKnight. Well, I was just going to say, the yeah. guy who's actually answered this... Yeah works for us exactly or works with us yeah um uh duncan so we'll tell you what we'll wait for his next podcast right and yeah. we'll get everyone to answer his questions yeah. uh exactly. you know when he's going on about the a90 <laughs> or so, some some corner of the land yeah okay no problem um i, I get that but that's all the, all the questions people have in it yeah. as always with these <clears> things <throat> if you've got any interesting stories yes about it or you've got any follow-up questions ask us um 
or, or anything you might challenge us on. Yeah, we, we couldn't. We can bring that up in another one. Another one of our followers got in touch to say they had visited the Kincardine History Centre or museum or whatever it was, and there's a model of the bridge in there. There's That's a worth museum. looking at. I think it might have been Jonathan. So thanks for giving us a wee tip I didn't on know that. It was a museum. Neither, see, neither did I. But then we're not really local today. Are we? Yeah, you know, I suppose. Aye, so that's apparently there, so worth checking out. I might do that myself at some point. It's good way um, it's been a Sunday. Yeah, and if you've got any photos or anything, always you know let us know as well. Yeah. Okay. Now I think you've got something you want to tell us all about supporters. Yes, of course. As always, I just want to thank Eastwood Excavations for continuing to support us for the second time because you know these contributions they ensure that we can continue to do these Absolutely. things. Absolutely, and, and we also want to say thanks to HBS who also supports us. Yeah. Um, uh, Highway Barrier Solutions. We, we appreciate that, and, and thanks. Absolutely, to, thanks to everyone else who snapped up booklets and badges over the last few months as well. Hope you're enjoying them. Hope you like them. And the quality is some, some of the results of this, of, of course, being with this support is is some of the equipment we've now been able yeah. to get for podcasts and also for digitizing yeah. you have also managed to now com- almost completely digitizing all the mapping yeah which has been yeah. an incredibly difficult mm-hmm. expensive uh yes. thing because uh you know they don't fit in any commercial scanner do they no they you do know. not and it's a it's a very expensive process all of our large plans and folded drawings yeah. are now scanned and they're starting thank to appear you. on the website yes they are so. thank you to all of our wonderful followers for that. That's helped us immensely. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's a calendar coming again soon. Of course there is. Another wall I calendar. I didn't think that would be mentioned mm-hmm. because it's been such mm-hmm. a tradition. But um, yes. We have an interesting concept this year. Uh, I'm not going to give it away. Okay. Um, you better not be starting the week with Sundays. N- well. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a can't, controversial can't thing with a calendar. That. But okay, um, that's fine. So that's coming. Uh, that'll be coming in the next few weeks. Price the same as last year, nine ninety nine. Not going to okay. change. We are cheap here at the <laughs> okay. Glasgow Motorway Archive. Uh, so yeah, keep an eye open for that. Um, as always, you can listen to all these podcasts on all good podcast providers. There's mm. way too many to mention these days. I googled the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I think there was like 25 different possible options came up. Oh, okay. Google, Amazon, iTunes. All the usual Spotify. Spotify. You're probably listening to it on Podbean, there. YouTube. They're all there. Yeah. yeah. And we've also got, of course, we mention this all the time. We're all over social media as well. All over it. We're the only... Well, we've got Facebook. We've got yes. Twitter. We've got yes. Instagram. Yes. Um, the, the only thing we don't do is TikTok. No. I don't quite <laughs> fancy seeing you dancing up and down on a bridge. Um, up to some squeaky music. To some squeaky yeah, music. Tell me how um, wonderful it is. One know. one day, you know, maybe the, mm. the next generation of people after us might do that. But no, we, we are on YouTube as well, aren't we? We are. We have some videos on there. Uh, there's been some other social media groups recently have posted some roads-related material. Questionable quality. Oh, dear. Uh, you, you stick with us for the best, you know. Um, we, we, we make no- do you know what I, I will say? We're all trying. We're all learning, Stuart. <laughs> you know, if we cast our minds back to the Asher podcast, we, we came in with, well, there's just so much stuff we still mm-hmm. don't know here. Mm-hmm. And then the stuff came flooding in, mm-hmm. so we're, we're mm-hmm. all trying. Man. We're all Thank trying. you very much for listening, as always. Yes. Yep. So, we'll see you next month. Tell us what we're covering next month. I know cool. people like that. It's a very, very, very cool um, odyssey, I'm going to call it, that I was on. This was the North Coast 500. So, I, um, I'd, I'd done this actually um, earlier in the month, and I can't wait to tell people about it because I went mm-hmm. on some fantastic roads. I've seen some Good. brilliant bridges. Uh, and I've managed to do all of this and I didn't even bump into Duncan McKnight 
So there good. you go. Good. That's that's always <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> no, no, I was I was very very busy, and so is he. So we'll talk all about that. Well, I look forward to hearing all about that. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting route, so I'm sure people will appreciate it. Uh, if mm-hmm. you've got any questions on it, you can let us know in the usual place. Uh, yeah. But we'll see you next month. Yeah. So bye for now. Bye bye. <laughs>